Hi, Paula. Okay. Hi, Paula. Let's see, just for a second, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna mute everybody, but if you have any questions, you use the chat box and at the end, feel free to unmute yourself. Okay, hi everybody, welcome. Welcome my Zoom friends, welcome my Instagram friends. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. Okay, we are on chapter 32. Chapter 32 um, happens to be pretty famous because we talk about um, love. And it's really kind of fun to, after our intense chapters that we just did, remember we had like three harsher chapters, we now take a break from that and we um, cover a whole new topic, but it obviously it flows and it is connected. So um, it's interesting because chapter 32 does interrupt the flow a little. There is like kind of a flow between um, um, 26 and then now we're on 32 and then we're going to kind of pick up that flow again afterwards but this was inserted in the middle for a good reason 32 um in numerical value um for 32 in hebrew letters is lamed bet and numerical value that and late that's 32 lamed bet is 32 and lave means heart and um this chapter is known to be the heart of the tanya and we also talk about love. So like, it's all really cool. Um, so um, what, well, it's interesting because why are we calling this chapter the heart of the Tanya when here we're talking about interpersonal relationships? Ta the chapter 32 in Tanya is all about our relationship between another human. If I were to ask you, what is the main theme of Tanya, whoever's been here from the beginning or has been listening to the recordings, if I were to ask you, what is the main theme of, of Tanya, what would you say? Kindness. 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 But, but more than that, what's the, what do we talk about here on Tanya all the time? Everything is, that. what's the end game? Our relationship between us and God right? We're trying to enhance our relationship between us and God. So why is the one chapter that talks about our interpersonal relationships, why is that the heart of the Tanya? Right? So obviously, we're going to answer that question, but it's food for thought, okay? It will all make sense as we explore this chapter. Now, the chapter, chapter 32 starts with these words, and I'm going to say them in English. It starts with, by fulfilling the words that we just mentioned, dot, 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 okay? So we're starting this chapter by saying, we're going to talk about a concept, and this concept is only going to work if we fulfill the words that we just learned in the last chapter. Okay, so obviously, let's quickly review. What did we learn last chapter, okay? Um, the point of chapter 31 was... Remember what we spoke about? We spoke a lot about the difference between depression and frustration, right? What did we say the difference between depression and frustration? Is depression brings you down and doesn't motivate you at all? And it, nothing really positive comes from depression. What happens with frustration? We're motivated to for this thing to change, 
Okay. And I can tell you personally, I've been very frustrated lately um, with the school systems and I have kids home every single day, different times, and I'm frustrated. Okay. Now, unfortunately, my frustration and my motivation, I am motivated to change something, but unfortunately, nobody wants to listen to me. <laughs> but I'm not depressed in the sense that I can't get out of bed, but I, I want something to change. And I'm motivated. If, if I can't change the outside um, circumstance, I'm going to be motivated to, okay, well, how do I conquer this challenge in my life in the very best way, right? So that's the difference between depression and frustration. So we come away with, in chapter 31, changing our identity. Remember at the end of the class, we were changed our identity. How did we change our identity? What did we say? Even though we identify and by default, we, um, we like get sucked into our animal soul and our body's desires, right? So like by default, we identify with our animal soul better, right? But that's by default. Really inherently, we're our godly soul, right? And it's okay to be frustrated at your animal soul and embrace your godly soul all at the same time, right? You can, you can hold those two things. We can be frustrated with our animal soul and, and identify with our godly soul and use, and use that as our modes, modes of expression, right? So we can do those two things at the same time. So what's our identity shift? Our identity shifts is you want to slowly start to identify more with our divine soul than our animal soul, right? Okay, and um, so we want to view our animal soul as secondary, even though that might be our default setting, okay? By default, we're always going to land there, but if we constantly train ourselves and we constantly use this um, message that, oh, um, that's just my default, but really inside of me, I'm the godly soul. And I can be frustrated that my animal soul is dragging my godly soul into the dirt, right? We can be frustrated at that. That's okay. Right. And remember we're, we're, we use all these tools because what are we trying, what were we trying to do in those last, in the last three chapters that we talked about in the last three chapters we talked about, we were trying to break our apathy, right? In the big category from chapter 26, we are troubleshooting crises, right? Troubleshooting any obstacles in our way of service of God. And one of the obstacles, and actually one of the greatest obstacles to our service of God is apathy. So we spent three chapters smashing our apathy, right? It was pretty harsh, but we come away with an identity shift. We come away with this idea that our animal souls are default, but it doesn't, but it's not who we truly are. And we want to Un we want to uncover our true self, which the animal soul is trying to cover up, right? That's what we're trying to do, right? So we see ourselves as a soul. Oh, I love this statement. Hold on one second. I'm just letting somebody else in. Um, we, we, it is really, really fascinating if we start to see ourselves as a soul that happens to have a body and we should love that over everything, right? So 
It's not that we're a body that happens to have a soul. We're a soul that happens to have a body. Another way of saying this, this is like really mind shifting, right? We are not humans having a spiritual experience. We are, we're not human beings have a, having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, right? Like that shift is completely life-changing. If we start to view ourselves as not this animalistic being that sometimes has a spiritual experience, and we start to view ourselves as a spiritual being having human experiences in this world because we're enclosed in a body, but we're souls and bodies, right? That's what we are, souls and bodies, okay? So back to chapter 32, through the implementation of all that, when we implement this new mindset, this identity shift, right? This will enable us to love every single Jew. The theme of this chapter is to love your fellow as yourself, okay? So if we are able to incorporate this identity shift, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in, within the chapter, that is the tool that's going to allow us to love every single Jew as we love ourselves, okay? So the question obviously is, well, how? How does that work? And why does that lead to Abbas Yisrael? Why does that lead to love? Okay, so what's the obstacle? Um, what's the, yeah, yes, Kari, um, one second. We should just have a comment here, let me read it. Our spirituality is the reality of life. If we can identify, when we are, in our day-to-day -day operations, it's sometimes hard to, for, for some people, to identify with their spiritual life. But if we constantly remind ourselves that that's what this, that's what's going on, it becomes more of a reality. Exactly. So what is the obstacle to loving your fellow? What gets in the way of loving somebody else, right? This is just, uh, I love this chapter because it is so beautiful and it's so practical and it's, it actually like, like I always say, like if you're in the therapeutic world, it is literally therapy. Okay. Um, so I get so excited, but anyway, so what is our obstacle for loving our fellow? It's the illusion that we're separate. Okay. Before our identity shift, right, we view everybody as separate entities because we view everybody as bodies, right, and as separate entities, right, and you see somebody else, they're separate from you, and not only are they separate from you, they're your competition, right, because if you're not in it together, then it's competition. There's only a certain amount of resources, right? You have a scarcity mindset. That's really a, a, a button, a hot button word these days, right? Scarcity mindset. My kids learn about that in school. Like you can operate from abundance or you can operate from a scarcity mindset. So if you are under the influence 
of the identity that you are body centered, right? Everybody is a separate body, which means everybody's competing for the same resources, for the same attention, for the same love, for the same, you know, seed and shawl, right? Like we're all like, we're in competition with each other, right? So that is what um, disrupts the ability to embrace and love because we're under the impression that we're all separate humans, you know, survival of the fittest, right? And um, I, was, I was listening to Shay's tab to prepare a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was listening to this class for a different reason. And um, he gives this funny example, but like, you know, he, he tends to do that, to do these like funny examples that actually bring home the point really well. But he brings this example of like a brownie, right? And let's say you're at a, a shul kiddish and somebody takes the last brownie, right? <clears throat> if it's in somebody else's stomach, it can't be in your stomach, right? So you can be disappointed or upset that this brownie landed in someone else's stomach or take the same, to me, this is a little bit more relatable and we'll get back to the brownie thing in a minute later on, but this is a little bit more relatable, like attention, right? If you live in a family with a lot of children, you can experience this. As a mom of a few children, I experience seeing this and like struggling with it, right? Like everybody wants your undivided attention because you're under the impression that if you have the attention that I'm missing out, we can't both have the attention, right? So we are coming, we're approaching the world with a scarcity mindset. We're approaching the world that we're all separate. We're all in it for ourselves. And if you are successful and if you achieve something, that means I can't right? And you, when you take up resources, then I don't get those same resources, okay? Um, so this is what happens when we're body-centered people, right? And this is what happens when body-centered people have relationships, right? Body-centered people could obviously could have relationships and you can have strong feelings, right? But the only way that, this is like mind-blowing, the only way that happens is if the reason why you're letting someone into your life and letting them take up some of your resources is more compelling than your, the resources that you have. So you're, you're willing to give up some of your resources because the reason why you wanna be with that person is more compelling. But what happens when that reason goes away, right? What happens when the reason why you are in a relationship with someone doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. So then the love goes away, right? So what is this called? This is called conditional love, right? Love that's based on a factor, right? Um, so you allow someone into your life, you, you give them space in your relationship for a particular reason, right? Whether, okay, well, let's go really superficial, whether it's beauty or brains or um, finances, right? Like that's compelling. You want to be with this person because there's a lot of compelling reasons. Well, guess what? Those things go away. So what happens when those things go away is that conditional love is conditional. So when the reason goes away, the love goes away, right? And like Sarah says, even convenience, right? Um, 
And by default, guys, by default, we are body-centered people. So to transcend this takes a lot of work. This is not like an accusatory thing like, oh, like this is how you operate, bad on you, right? We all operate this way. We are all by default body-centered people. So in order to transcend that and to become soul-centered people, and we'll, we'll understand why we want to do that, it takes a lot of work. This is not something that comes naturally. This is something that comes because we will it to be there, right? It's not something that's just going to land on you. So every single ego-based relationship there is, there, it's always for the same reason you allow someone into your life. It's because that there's something compelling that's allowing you to give some of give some of your space up. Okay. So if you have, okay, I'm going to say something big here. If you are having a body centered relationship that by definition is conditional love. There's no two ways about it. If it's body centered, it's ego centered, even if it's not malicious, right? We all operate that way. It is a conditional love. Okay. Even if you love somebody because of their character. Yeah. What happens if they have a character change? What happens if they change? They're going to change your character character can change for the worse and for the better. So if you love someone for one particular aspect of their character and then they go through a trauma or they're influenced or they hang out with the wrong crowd and that character changes, then you don't, what's compelling for in that love, in that relationship? Well, once you've loved them, you can't take your love out. You can't stop loving them. I challenge that. I beg to differ, right? If you are loving someone for a particular character trait or a particular reason, when that reason goes away, you might have a history you might have a history and you might always have fondness for this person. They might always have a special place in your heart, but not necessarily will that love persevere. Now, if you work very, very hard and make that relationship soul-centered or not body-centered, maybe that love will persevere. You get what I'm saying? But if it's a body-centered relationship, if it's all, it's if it's happening for a particular character trait, for a particular um, exterior quality, when that goes away, that love is conditional. And guys, we see this in the world. What's the divorce rate in, in, in the world, right? Why do you think that's happening? Because there's nothing in it for you anymore, right? So, um, so this is where we're at with a body centered love, but it's very, very important to understand that this is how humans operate. This is not something that we need to be ashamed of or something that we, you know, we're accusing somebody else of having, we all operate this way. Now, when we become aware of this particular way of operating, we can slowly, slowly add soul centered ideas into our life, which allows us to it expands in our love. Have you ever met the person who, I don't know, I have a few people like this in my life where they're so spiritual, right? They're so wide open and yeah, they're a little weird, right? But they love every person unconditionally. They love everything and everyone, right? Because they're so spiritually focused. They're not focused on me and you and what you have and what I have. It's just not a thing. I actually know somebody like that. And yes, yeah, she's eccentric. 
And a lot of people just don't even know what to do with this person. But if you see it for what it is, what it is is a soul-centered way of operating. It's being able to see past everybody's physical bodies and physical character traits and physical hangups. It's, it's transcending that. It's cool when you can see it happen, you know? So um, what is the only way to have permanent love that's not subject to change? What's the only way to have that? Um, love that's not dependent on anything, right? That would be that would be called unconditional love, right? Um, like we said, body-centered people will by default be threatened by somebody else. By default, we're threatened. Even by somebody we love, we can be threatened. I don't know, like maybe I'm gonna say something scandalous, which I usually tend to do, but I've been threatened by a talent of my husband's that my, I may feel be encroaching on my talent. Like we both can't be good at this, right? Cause then where's my space, right? Of course we, we work that through, but, but that's a, like, even though I love my husband, right? We sometimes, sometimes we can feel threatened by the people we love, right? Because even, even our relationship between our spouses, by default is body centered unless we work really, really hard, right? So we can, we can transform that love to soul centered, but most of us start in a place of body centered love, right? So um, soul centered people um, are capable of unconditional love, right? Because, and it never disappears. Why? Because body-centered, when you're emphasized on the body, you are emphasizing how we're separate, how we're different, right? Um, and not the same, therefore it's competition. Soul-centered people emphasize the fact that we are all one light shining into many different vessels. We are all one soul, we are one um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like one being, right? And um, the great analogy of that is like, if you ever were at my dream, sunset at the beach, <laughs> if you were ever were able to witness a beautiful sunset at the beach, what happens is, is that the sun goes down and all of a sudden you see these little shimmers on the water, right? And there's each, they're individual shimmer spots, right? But if you trace them back to the source, they're coming from one sun, right? So even though they look separate in the water, right? They're separate dots in the water. They're separate shimmer spots. They're all coming from the same source. So if we view humans like that, that we're all different sources of light in this world. Every single person is a walking shimmer spot, right? Every single person adds light into this world. But if you trace back those shimmer spots to the source, we all come from the same thing. We're all one. So when you're soul-centered, you focus more on that. And then guess what? It's not a competition because we're all in it together. We're all in it for the same thing. Okay, let me read your comment one second. 
Okay, how does the idea about evaluating friendships that help us and our healthy friendships and investing more in those because of how they impact us? Is that against the idea of loving people unconditionally? So very good question. I think your question is, why do we gravitate towards somebody more than another, right? Like, is it okay that, I was, I was thinking this as I was preparing the class, I was thinking, well, like, then what does it matter who I marry, right? Like, if we're all from the same source and we're all in it together, then why, why does it, why do we have attraction to different people? And, and is, is that okay? And I, I didn't really come up with a, a for sure answer, but as I'm thinking about it, I think, well, the way Hashem created the world is that we all shimmer a different way, right? And even though our source is the same, we, we have different personalities and we have different, we gravitate towards different things now, and which allows us to be friendlier with other people, to have a, 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 a soulmate, right? Um, but I think what changes is that the people that aren't in our spouse or our close friends still deserve that respect and love because we're coming from the same source. I don't think it takes away the fact that we are might be attracted to somebody else for a deeper relationship, but um, but it still allows us to have this overarching view of everybody with love. Like everybody like the, deserves the baseline, our love and The baseline is unconditional love. And then naturally it makes sense that you'll be gravitated towards, towards certain people that. and that brings certain things out in you and are certain of like valuable relationships. Right, right. And what Paula said is um, loving someone unconditionally is the person who doesn't obviously help you or give you anything, right? You still love, you're still loving that person who doesn't necessarily impact your life in a positive way or at all, right? But we recognize we still are in this, in this together, in this world for the same purpose, right? Coming from the same source, okay? Um, so if I'm soul-centered, right, then every Jew is coming from the same source and has the same or, or original soul, right? We just, we, we all come from it, right? So back to the brownie, <laughs> If somebody else eats that brownie is in, and is in somebody else's stomach, well, great, right? Like, it's not taking away from me. It's you are getting something that feeds you and in turn feeds me. Okay, so a brownie is hard to, to translate that because it's a physical thing. And um, 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 what's the word? Um, not physically, um, like scientifically but in physics we can't have a brownie in two different stomachs at the same time right physically like a brownie is either in your stomach or in my stomach but when we transcend that and we take that idea and it may and make it more spiritual like if take it like if one jew is succeeding right then we're all succeeding you right? could it's pull not a king you could pull a king solomon and cut the brownie in half Right, and then nobody gets it, right? <laughs> no, half, half and half. Right, yeah. But if if we are succeeding as a people, then we're all benefiting from that. If you're succeeding, then I'm succeeding because we're all one, right? So, so by being happy for the other one is 
part of it. Totally. So by being happy for somebody else or respecting somebody else or, or loving somebody else like yourself, it comes more naturally because if I love myself, then I, then I love this person. That's what we're going to get to in a second. So let's backtrack for a second, right? We're coming into this chapter with, remember, we're coming into this chapter with that identity shift, right? Only once I do that, can I see the other person as a soul? And this is where, this is where it hits home. You have to love yourself before you can love somebody else. You have to see yourself as a soul before you see somebody else as a soul. Okay? So, and I would say, I would venture to say even more so, if I don't see myself as a soul, and then I look at everybody else as a soul, that's going to be pretty detrimental. It's not going to be, it's not going to work, right? So in order to see everybody else as a soul, I have to see myself as a soul first. That is why this chapter has to come after chapter 31. We have to have that identity shift of our own, you know, default and our own relationship with ourselves before we can translate that into to having a relationship with somebody else. Right? So how many times, I mean, I can speak for myself. Have we gone, have I gone to therapy and talked about this, right? You've got to love yourself before you can love other people. You've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. Here it is in the Tanya. In order to love your fellow as yourself, you have to love yourself, right? That is the foundation of that right? So we have to have that internal shift first before it goes outward. It only works if we, if we do it in here first, okay? So now I come to the conclusion, right? You and I are the same, right? We come from the same source. We're in this together. We're not competing for resources, right? Because we're not body-centered. We're soul-centered, soul right? Um, so one second, but on some, on some level, we still get distracted by this, like the physics part of it, right? Like if it's a new, it can't be a me. If you eat the brownie, then I can't eat the brownie. Right. But if we transcend that that physics level and go to the soul centered level, then it's all unconditional. It's not dependent. Our love is not dependent on any factor. It's all transcends anything. Just the mere fact that we are one and we come from the same source is enough. That's the basis of our love. I so love you ate you. the brownie. It's as though I ate the brownie. It's as though you ate the brownie. Exactly. So this is where it boils down to. I love you because of who I am, not because of who you are, right? That's, that's the essential point to this. I love you because of who I am. I don't focus on who you are because I know who I am. That allows me to love you, right? So 
synonymous with my existence is this love. If I exist in a soul-centered way, this love will come naturally, okay? Now, um, any questions before I continue? By the way, anyone on Instagram, I can see the comments. So if you have a question, you're welcome to put it in the comment section, okay? Now. Bobby, can I, is there anything about, and maybe you said this and I missed it, but like the idea of if you see things as finite, then there's not enough for people, like there's not enough for you and me. But if like, I'm thinking back to like, I don't know, a while ago when we were talking about like infinite and mm -hmm. how Hashem is infinite, that if you see things as infinite, then it's no longer uh, like you get some and I don't because it's all infinite because it's all from Hashem. Yeah, it's exactly what we're saying because when we say we're body-centered, that's basically saying when we look at the world as finite, you body, you body, you body, you body, then there's not enough resources for everybody. But when we transcend the body and we go to the soul, which is an infinite, then all of a sudden we're not competing for the resources. They're all, we're all in it together. So it's exactly what we're saying. Body centered equals finite, which means there's not enough. If you have it, then I don't have it. Right. And that's what we're trying to transcend. We're trying to go to that infinite place where God is infinite. There's enough for everybody. Right. And I think the most relatable example of, of, of an unconditional love experience would be, um, be to a, a, a love between a parent and child. That is the only physical example, like in, in this world, let's say even, even body centered, like the one thing that can, can touch on an unconditional love is a love between parent and child. Why? Because a biological child is you, right? It comes from you. So if you love yourself, you're going to love your child, right? So it's that same concept of you're one. So you're always going to love that biological child because it comes from you. Now, there's a di differentiation between love and like, hold on, I'm missing a comment here. Don't envy others because I believe that everything is customer made. We'll get our custom made share. Yeah, there's enough for everybody. There really, really is. So, so for example, there's a difference between love and like. Okay, I'm going to say something else radical. We don't always like our children. Okay, sometimes their personalities irk us. Sometimes their behavior is atrocious. Sometimes they're really not nice people or they're not cool people and they're not kind people. Like, it's okay. Like, we don't always like our children, but we're always going to love them. Okay? Because love with a, with a parent-child relationship of love is unconditional because it's a part of you. Now, there's always exceptions to the rule. Guys, I, I live in this world. I know there's parents who abandon their children. That isn't, that's why it's an exception to the rule. That's not the norm. Something's very wrong when a mother turns their back on their child, okay? The way Hashem created us is that a parent-child relationship is unconditional because of the mere fact that you are the same. They come from you. Okay, so that's why it's a perfect example, because we're saying that as Jews, 
We all are the same, like we all come from the same source. So that's how we can implement unconditional love. So just apply that to a parent-child relationship and then we understand it more. Oh, it makes sense. We don't always have to like it. We don't always have to get along with it, right? But the foundation of love is there because if you love yourself, you're gonna love your child because it's a piece of you, okay? So Avas Yisrael, right? We should feel the same about loving our fellow because we're all a piece of God. We all are, we all are the same. We come from the same sun. We shimmer in our own different ways. And when we're in this world, we look like we're different, unique individual shimmer spots. But when you trace that back to the source, it's all coming from the sun. And there's enough for everybody. And there's room for everybody. And there's an infinite amount of shimmer spots, right? You can't count them because we're all coming from the same source. So how we feel about our own children is how we should feel about every single Jew. So when you meet somebody who irks you, right? Who you don't necessarily jive with, your personalities don't work well together. I think what we're saying is just touches upon what you said before is we don't have to necessarily like them. We don't necessarily have to appreciate their sense of humor. We don't necessarily have to appreciate their personality. We don't have to necessarily want to spend every moment with them, but we have to love them because they're a piece of us and they're a piece of God. So they deserve our love and respect and they're not going to take away anything from us. We're not in competition. Okay. So that's where I, I think it clicked for me also in this moment. It's like, we don't have to like everybody, right? We don't have to want to spend every waking minute with every single person on this planet, but we do have to respect them. We do have to love them. Okay. So um, now, not only can this identity shift, help us to fulfill Avas Yisrael as one of the 613 commandments, but it's actually known to be the foundation of all the 613 commandments. And you might know the story of Hillel, who was asked to recite the whole Torah on one foot, right? And what did he say? He says, don't do unto others what you don't want done to yourself. Uh, and uh, loving your fellow is a basis of the Holy Torah, right? Why? You could, it would make sense if Ava Sisral was the basis of all interpersonal relationships, right? Because Torah is divided into two. Um, relationship between you and God, right? And all the mitzvahs that fall under that category. And then the relationship between you and man right? Interpersonal and godly. So it would make sense for, you know, loving your fellow to be the, to be the, the foundation of all interpersonal relationships. Why is it the foundation of all mitzvahs, including our godly relationship? Like, I think that's a little bit strange, right? Um, what is, so, so we're, there is a reason why that is. Because once we understand the key to loving every Jew, then it makes sense why it's literally the foundation of the whole Torah, okay? 
So what's the key? We have to identify as our soul. When we identify as our soul, that's rising above our nature, okay? To transcend our hardened impulses that tells us that we're in a competition. Okay, remember, our, when we're body-centered, then we think everyone is a comp, it's every other body is competing for a limited amount of resources, right? So when we transcend our nature and live a soul-centered life, which is what it takes to basically do every single mitzvah, in order to do a mitzvah, you have to transcend your nature and go from body-centered to soul-centered, right? So when we figure that out, then that's why this is the basis of the whole Torah. Because if you can do this, then you can serve God, right? If you can, if you can transcend your nature and understand that you can love every single person, that is the same tools you need to serve God. It's all about transcending your nature. Okay. So in either category, whether you're serving God or whether you're, you're having a relationship with your fellow man, it all requires to rise above your animalistic sense of self. What is it in simple English? Ego, right? We are like diminishing our ego. And the more we can be humble and calm our ego down, the more there's space for God and the more there's space for other people. And that is the key, okay? That's the key tool to all of this is transcending your nature and rising above your sense of self. Now, the, the, the best way to do that is by overcoming the most, our most primal threat. The best way to like help our sense of self is by overcoming our most primal threat. What's our most primal threat? Other people. Other people are our most primal threat. So when we can transcend that, when we can, can excuse me, transcend that experience of the other being a threat, we have it made, right? So that's the most important skill. So if you can, if you can get yourself to identify with every other Jew, right? And no longer feel as that person is a threat, um, and gain pleasure and enjoyment from whatever happens to another human being. That's the level of transcendence that you need for any mitzvah. It's the key. It's the key to connection with to connecting with God. You're with me? Like pretty powerful stuff, right? Like on the one hand, it's like not rocket science. And usually the most profound things are pretty simple, 
they're not like something that Brit, like we, we struggle to understand. I think they're, we struggle to implement, right? But they're not like, oh my God, these like, you know, um, uh, you know, genius math equations that we have to figure out. It's, it's pretty simple, but it's profound and it's powerful. And what the Alter Rebbe is telling us is that when we transcend self and we can confront our biggest fear, which is other, right? Which is other people, which is our primal threat. That's how God created us. And we can, can, we can transcend that. That is the key to serving God because it's all about diminishing our sense of self. It's all about that humility. It's all about making space whether it's for another person or whether it's for God. Okay. So we only have a few more minutes and I want to be able to finish the last point of the chapter, but I want to make sure we're all good with this before we conclude the last part of the chapter. I wrote something, but I'll say it if you like. Oh, if, yeah. If you love every Jew, you are loving Hashem. A hundred percent. If you love every Jew, you're loving Hashem. Why? Because we all are a piece of Hashem. That's what we're saying. We're all a piece of God. What makes you better or deserving of love rather than the other person? Right? So when you understand that you deserve the love, then you understand that everybody deserves the love. Because we're all God's children. We're all God's children. And he loves every one of us. And he loves everybody. Right? So we have to love everybody. Okay. Let's quickly do the second half. And then I also want to have time for a meditation because I think that's really important to just center ourselves. Okay. So this, the, the last part of the chapter is kind of like the answer to like, yeah, but. Right? Like, there's a person that comes and says, what about the Gemara that says, when you see somebody sinning, you should hate them? Basically, this is the person who wants to hate people so badly and he has proof, right? He's like, oh, I can hate people because look, the Gemara says is if you're sinning, I can hate you. And the author of it says, wait a second, not so fast, right? Um, and remember, this is a person that wants to hate right? He can't give up that competition. He's still stuck in that. Like, oh, but there's certain people I could hate. The people that sin. And the author says, okay, um, there are a lot of criteria and conditions for that to even be the case. And you almost never encounter it. What are the conditions? A, that person has to be on that same exact observance level as you. And it's almost impossible to know that, but they can't be someone who is less observant than you. And you look down on them and say, you're sinning. They're not on the same level as you. So you, what do you know? Right? Like you can't judge them for that. And then we also, we talked about so many times, you never know what's going on in, inside of somebody. So unless you, for some crazy way, know that this person is at the same exact level as you, and you see him sinning, then you've, you would have had to have warned him once and he ignored your warning. 
and you'd have to have warned him again. And the warning can't be a war just a warning. It has to be words that come from the heart, enter the heart, right? So obviously, if he didn't listen to you, your words weren't coming from the heart. Because if words come from the heart, they enter the heart. So something was wrong with your rebuke if they didn't listen to you the first time, right? And then even if you did all those things and all those criteria fit, then um, you still have to love them. You know why? Because you can hate and love at the same time. You can hate what they're doing, but love who they are, right? You can hate that their ego is making their soul sin, but you can love who they are, who they are in truth, which is their soul, right? Uh, and, yeah, when, so. and, when, and when you contemplate on the fact that this person's ego has dragged their soul so low that they're willing to sin against God, what there's a third emotion that comes. What's that third emotion? Compassion. You need to right? teach them. You teach compassion. them not to sin. Yes, and compassion leads to love. Compassion overrides hate. So whichever way you twist it, there's no way not to love somebody. The only thing that you may be able to hate is the ego that's making the soul sin. But even then, you it evokes compassion, which deletes the hate and brings out the love. So to this person who really wants to hate, right? He's stuck in like, oh, but I, not everybody falls in that category. You're like, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, they do, right? Because you have all these things that have to be done, which are almost impossible. And if you say you're the one person in the world that accomplished that, then what, ha what, what the next emotion should be is compassion. You feel for that person who's, who's stuck. And compassion is love. Compassion leads to love, not to hate. So basically, you love everybody right? You can hate actions, maybe, but when you really delve into it, um, you really just have compassion and then the hate goes away, right? So um, if you can do all of this, if you can implement all of the things that we just talked about, right? You will be close to Hashem. Are you talking just about your fellow Jew or love every single human being on this earth? Okay, that's a very good question. We have to love and respect every person on this earth. This chapter happens to be specifically talking about our fellow Jew. There are other sources of, of course, we respect and, and, and appreciate every single human deserves that respect. But for this particular topic and this particular Tanya chapter, we are referring to your fellow Jew, okay? So if you do all of this, right? And you have an identity shift and your identity shifts allows you to transcend your nature and love every person because if you love yourself, you obviously love everybody else because you're one and the same, then you're gonna be close to Hashem. And if you wanna be close to Hashem, you have to do all of this. You really can't have one without the other. You can't compartmentalize. You can't say I'm a good person and I follow God and be a nasty human to other people. And you can't be a nasty human. I mean, you can't, 
How does it work the other way? And you can't be nasty and you can't love every single person and every single Jew and not have a godly connection. Sorry, I had to do that in my head. I'm like, wait, how does it work the other way? But basically, if you follow through with all these things, you will be close to Hashem. And in order to be close to Hashem, you have to do all these things. Okay? You can't be really spiritual and have nothing to do with other people. Right? On the contrary, to be God conscious and to be spiritual, it all comes down to our ability to love every Jew. Love your own soul, no matter whose body it's in. Love your soul, no matter whose body it's in. Mind blowing. I'm telling you guys. <laughs> Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Um, okay. Oh my gosh, I just hit the table and now I'm something happened. I'm playing music officially. Hold on. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. So um, you cannot be spiritual and be godly and be nasty. It doesn't work. You cannot compartmentalize that. On the contrary, being spiritual all comes down to your ability in your interpersonal relationships. No spiritual person can stand on their high horse and say, I'm spiritual. I follow every godly commandment, but you guys, I don't have a time of day for you. That is an oxymoron. It doesn't work. And God is saying so. Okay. So if you want to be, have a godly relationship, you have to be able to do all those things. Now, guys, it's a work in progress. Remember what we learned in the Tanya, our default method is body centered. So this is not going to come easily. But if you're working towards this goal, that's all that God asks for. You, you work towards this goal. You work on your interpersonal relationships. As you work on your interpersonal relationships, you're going to become more godly. As you become more godly, your interpersonal relationships are going to, are going to become holier and deeper. They work hand in hand together. Okay? So that's the end of chapter 32, which is the heart and soul of the Tanya because... We cannot have a godly connection without our human connection. In order to have a godly connection, we need to have a human connection. And the way we have a human connection teaches us how we have a godly connection. So that is why this is considered the heart of the Tanya. And we were just lucky enough to be able to do that today. So I did it, 7.56, guys. Um, we're gonna do a meditation. And I want to do the meditation before it's um, eight o'clock. So whoever has to go can go. And then if anyone has questions and wants to stay a few minutes after, we'll have time for that. Okay. So everybody get comfortable. Take a deep breath. In through your nose, out through your mouth. And I'm going to give you like 60 seconds just to focus on your breath. That will center us that will calm us down, at least me down. <laughs> and um, we'll be able to just center ourselves. Okay, so focus on your breath. Don't worry about what your mind is doing. If you focus on your breath, it will stay pretty in line. 
Okay, there's so many things I want to say, but I'm gonna narrow it down. Think about this for a second and please like notice when I'm speaking these concepts, how your body reacts, how your soul reacts, like notice how you feel as we talk about these concepts. The concerns of my body and ego direct me towards a scarcity mentality of competition and jealousy. The best route to to fully love my fellow as myself is to find happiness in the joy of my divine soul alone. If you make your divine soul the main joy in your life, you will find it easier to love your fellow as yourself. So it's all about transcending that body-centered mentality to a soul-centered mentality. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, not human beings having a spiritual experience. So remember that identity shift. We are spiritual beings in this world, having human experiences. But remember, at our core, we're spiritual beings. We can only love our fellow as ourselves after we love ourselves. That must come first. That's the foundation. And the last thing I'm going to say no, I can say everything again because it's all so important. But love your own soul no matter whose body it's in. Don't worry about the body stuff. Focus on the soul stuff. That will never lead you wrong. Okay, so take a minute to just sit with these concepts. Like we said, they're not complicated, but they're profound and they deserve our attention. Take a second to refocus on your breath. Let your mind go. Just focus on your inhale and your exhale. Start to become more aware of your body, if I may say, Um, where you are in the space around you, some Sounds, smells kind of refocus you back into the present. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Take your time. I'm sorry the meditation was a little shorter today, but I did want to respect your time if you had to go. But you can always do this on your own. Take the meditation. All you need to do It's not like a tricky meditation. All you need to do is take one of the concepts that we learned today, whether that's, you know, love your soul no matter what body it's in, whether it's I'm a spiritual being, have a human experience, whether it's 
transcending your body centered default method, like any of those concepts, just sit for a couple minutes and just think about that. That's the exact definition of a meditation. Okay. So, um, we're officially done. I will stop the recording. So it's not too long.